Hey everybody, before you listen to the show, two quick things. I hope you and your loved ones are safe, happy and healthy. Secondly, stop right now. If you haven't already, check out our free to access conveyance and service for mortgage brokers and estate agents. Mortgage brokers must check out our free to access services at the mortgagebrokerclub.co.uk including over 25 categories of mortgage broker tools. Stay well, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the MLC Show for Property Professionals. I'm your host, Sean Rogers, and I am delighted to be joined today by Spencer Lodge. Spencer is a best-selling author and CEO of the Blue Sky Thinking Group, a $100 million company, and has built and ran a sales force of 250 people in a financial services niche. He's been voted as one of the top 100 most influential people in Dubai and has trained thousands of people. Spencer founded the Make It Happen University, an online platform where Spencer provides anyone who wants to create and increase their revenue every tool they need to succeed. Spencer has raised money for charity and has donated enormous amounts to charities helping children. Uh, Spencer, it's a privilege to have you on the show. How are you and how have you been in these times? I don't know if I can live up to that intro, but I'll do my best. Pleasure. How are things been? I, I, I assume you've been over in Dubai throughout the whole period. Yes. Well, I travelled um, a couple of times, but not not to the UK. Um, it's been interesting, challenging for many, uh, dramatically good for some and terribly bad for others. But uh, it's what it is and we have to kind of roll our sleeves up and get stuck on with it. And what else can you do? Indeed. we. It's embarrassing interviewing someone who's got such an incredible podcast and has interviewed such amazing guests in, in your time as well. Um, how have you found doing the, doing the shows? And, you know, you've interviewed some amazing people. I've seen, you, I've seen you with Tony Robbins, as an example. I mean, some of the interviews you've been doing have been phenomenal. Um, how have you enjoyed that? Kind of how did that come about? Yeah, I was, I was asked to do a podcast since, well, it would be two years in December. So I was asked for about a year beforehand to do one and I was told it would be valuable for me. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't listen to podcasts. I'm too busy and stuff like that. And then eventually I did. And um, then I thought to myself, how am I going to get the kind of people that I really want to talk to on the show? And I just, in my mind, thought it was going to be tougher than it was. And I just started reaching out to people just on like Facebook Messenger or Instagram and stuff and just, just wrote a nice message to see if they would join me and 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 a lot of no not everyone said yes at the time but a lot more than i thought said yes um and it gave me the opportunity then to to spend time learning about the journeys of you know people like tony and others um and yeah there's a lot there's a lot about it that's fun you know i really enjoy learning about people and i really enjoy having the opportunity to have that kind of one-to-one time it's a great biz dev tool because it helps me build relationships with people that normally I might not have been able to do so or considered doing so. And so uh, if it's not my favorite thing, it's one of my favorite things that I spend my time doing. Brilliant. I hope I can, I hope I can live up to your standards today. Um, I was reading about your journey from London to Bangkok um, and I was reading about your early years and I've seen um, a piece that references like three killer blows like in a very short space of time, you got some serious knocks, you know, the trajectory of your career up just seemed to be absolutely fantastic. And then all of a sudden these three blows come about. And for people, you know, there's a lot of people who are self-employed who will be listening to this. A lot of people of personal business life who, who have struggles. I'm just interested in, you know, you got some, some big hits there and I've overcome them. What, what lessons did you learn from that? What, 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 info, what advice would you give to people? 
Gosh, I mean, everything, everything in my life in terms of commercially seems to go um, to a T all the way through until 2012. Um, and, you know, like for a lot of us, work is our life. It's what we, you know, sacrifice things for. Um, and when my, my, I essentially cut a long story short, I was fired. Um, uh, being fired from a company that I spent 16 years contributing towards building broke my heart. And at that time, my partner, my other half, uh, decided she didn't want to be with me anymore. And that happened a few days later. And then a few days after that, I had spinal surgery six months earlier and I'd been in a lot of pain for six months. And I was told by the doctors that the operation had failed and I needed to have it again. So those three blows came to me and I didn't know which way to turn. I didn't know what was up or down or backwards and forwards. And whilst I wasn't in a situation where financially I was challenged, um, the money was so irrelevant uh, that, that and everything that just became bigger and bigger. It sent me into a dark depression. I did something silly and that was to sign a deal where I didn't work for a year. So I was paid not to work, which I thought initially would be a good idea. Um, and considering I'm, I'm the guy that's in the office at seven o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock at night every day, then not having anything to do for the first three weeks was great. Um, but after three weeks became, came, became a prison itself. And so, yeah, it was a challenging time for me. And, and I don't think I, I, I fully recovered for a long time. Um, but, you know, people have been through much worse than me. And there's people out there that are probably going through some really difficult times right now. Um, and, and it's like your parents give you advice when you're younger and you're like, yeah, 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 you, could, you don't get it. You know, and, you know, when you're young and relationships don't work out, it's kind of like you know, time will heal this, you know, with every, giving everything, giving time, everything becomes easier. Um, but you just don't in that moment think about that. But the truth is time does heal so many things. It gives you perspective for the first six months I was blaming. Then I started to take responsibility by taking responsibility and ownership. I could then do something about it. I was giving myself the power back. Once I gave myself the power back, I was then able to look forward slowly and in small steps uh, in a positive direction. Yeah, so if you were to shortcut that, if you could go back to that time where anyone was listening, that would basically be the shortcut in essence. Um, I suppose in my own in my own world, I would say that it's difficult when you don't think something's your fault. It's it's and outside forces are at play. You can sometimes over exaggerate them, but also you avoid taking responsibility for it in a way. And it's hard to sometimes take responsibility for outside forces that aren't necessarily your fault or, or deemed to be circumstances. But it's interesting when you get to speak to people, it's only when they sort of take responsibility, whether or not it's their fault. I've heard some interesting things about like Gary Vee, I think he has a very interesting um, outlook on things like that. And he basically says, look, I just take the view that everything's my fault and irrelevant of anything else and I can move on. Is that kind of how you would shortcut it looking back? Yeah, I mean, I've been teaching that for years and I've taught that ever since. But in that moment, I didn't take my own lesson, you know, I didn't, I didn't take my own medicine. Uh, but yes, whether, whether it's fault or not, it's responsibility. And at the end of the day, it was my responsibility. And yeah, everyone needs to, you know, the, the more you blame, the less you'll get anywhere. And the more you point, the more you'll see there's one finger in one direction and four fingers coming in another direction. And that's usually towards you. So take responsibility and, and like really own it. No matter what it is, really own it. Because you just, you gain control. And that's what it's about. When you're in control, you could do something. When you're out of control, you can do nothing. 
Make It Happen, um, obviously the book, the birth of Make It Happen and, and the university. Um, what inspired you to do that? Tell us a bit about how and how did you then go on to create that and build it into the success that it's, it's going to become? Um, I kind of, I, I'm really proud to be a salesperson, like really proud. And I, even though there's lots of people out there that talk about sales in a very negative light and if you meet people, oh, you're just a salesman and stuff like that. I know that selling is the, the backbone of every industry because if a company doesn't make money, it's, got, it's not a company. It's just, it's just a community. Um, or, or if you don't make any money, then you're, you just have a hobby. And so as far as I'm concerned, every business needs sales. But what I learn over the years is that there's just an enormous amount of people that are in sales that don't really understand that it's a skill set. And so they get into it either because they get bad qualifications at school or they don't know what to do with their life. You know, someone told them they can make a lot of money as so they fall into it and they get into it because, you know, they might be told that they're, they're a chatty person or they've got the gift of the gab or you're a good communicator, you're a good salesperson. And they get into it. Yeah. And you know that most salespeople fail and they fail miserably. Most people getting into the world of sales have a horrific experience. And because they fail, it's so easy then to point the finger and say, well, it's not me, not me. It's selling, isn't it? you know, it's an industry. It's this, it's that. Well, the art of, the art of sales, isn't it, is you're going to get more doors slammed in your face than you don't. It's, it's, it's like that quote that, you know, if you turn up at the 99th door, having door knocked and 98 of 97 turns you down and you turn up at the 98th, 99th, whatever, and say, you wouldn't want to buy this, would you? Then you might get a pity sale, but you've got to turn up at the 99th or even the 9,000th in the same state, I suppose, as you do the first, which I suppose is the real skill of a, of a true salesman, along with a lot of other strategies and skill sets i mean how, how how what did you do in terms of building that and and creating that and in terms of your vision in terms of delivery of that so this is exactly what happened i had an idea i knew that i needed to use video i started to make a couple of videos i thought i've got to do this properly went to south africa because the recording studios were cheaper there flew down there spent two weeks in johannesburg had a team all lined up got into the studio on day one and the producer's like, right, so where's all the content? Where's all these videos that you need to produce? And I was like, it's all up there. Don't you worry about it. And, um, and I started filming videos and uh, two weeks of recording time. And after day two, I had nothing left. I literally, I was exhausted of everything that I thought I knew. And I sat there thinking, holy macaroni, hold on a minute here. And I'd produced maybe 50 videos and uh, it was just, I was just empty. And so I had to cancel everything, go and sit in the hotel room. And I spent two days in the hotel room, literally nearly all day and all night, 20 hours a day, literally writing down bit by bit by bit by bit by bit, every single piece of content that I wanted to produce. And then I went back into the studio with another 200, no, 300, 350, 350 more videos to make. So the whole university wow. had over 400 videos in there. Um, and once I did that, then I was able to produce it all. Once I produced it all um, uh, and filmed everything, then it was right, how do we use it? So we need to create PDFs on all of that. Okay, find someone to do that. We have to create uh, test questions for it. But if I could create a hub, you know, this one place people could go where they could learn anything they needed to know about sales, business development, attitude, confidence, um, online and offline, then I thought if, if I could create that, then that's what's going to work. And I launched it in December of 2016. And within four weeks, 960 people had signed up. And I was like, aha, 
I've arrived, I'm amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't, because the, the, the month after things trickled downwards yeah. and, whatnot, and I didn't know why and I didn't understand enough about, you know, an online e-learning product and, yeah. and how you marketed it. Yeah, um, the plateau basically and then. Yeah, well, David, a plateau, then a nosedive and then we had <laughs> to pick it up and then get it going forward again. So yeah, learn a lot about it, but it's been, it's been something that I'm very passionate about because it gives people the opportunity to learn stuff that I think is really important if you're going to be in sales, whether you're an employee or you're an employer or you're self-employed. How, um, how do you think property professionals can really raise their brand awareness uh, on social media? I think it's something that um, a lot of property professionals um, know they should be doing. Uh, particularly look at mortgage brokers as an example um it's one of them things that because the, especially now in the uk with the the log jam that's going on at the moment in terms of in terms of work it will probably go lower down the list of things to do uh, but as we know things go in cycles and this bubble if you like isn't going to last forever what what would your advice be to people um in terms of using social media for the brand awareness and sales moving forwards I think the most important thing to understand is that if you want to be successful in business, you need to get people's attention. And if you're going to get people's attention by cold calling and that's your method, then fine. But the best way to speak one to many is to share content and to demonstrate that you're essentially an authority in what you do. There's a lot of people that will, you know, criticize others but if you can demonstrate uh, unequivocally that you're you're an authority in what you do then people will be drawn to you and pool selling works that way so for me what i learned is if you produce content on a consistent basis document your journey share your values give your give your knowledge away to people so that they can learn then what will happen is you'll, you'll create a community and that community is your community plus everybody else that they know and the amount of people that I know that do something, whether they're real estate brokers or mortgage brokers, one of the tests I give them is go onto WhatsApp and message everybody on your WhatsApp and say, I've got a question for you. Do you know what I do for a living? And then go onto Facebook and post, do you know what I do for a living? And see how many people know what you do for a living because you'll be surprised the amount of people that have no idea that you're a real estate broker, a mortgage broker, whatever it may be. And they'll be like, I didn't realize you did that. Yeah, Chandler and friends. <laughs> People still don't know what he did. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think it's important that perspective, but also we, whether we like it or not, social media is the tool that people are spending all of their time on. And if they're spending their time consuming something, don't you want them to consume you? Um, and if they consume you, then they're, they're, they'll lean towards you when the time's right for them to do so. And when it is right for them to do so, that's not a warm lead. That's somebody that's already decided that you're the person they want to work with, hence why they reach out. The a lot of property professionals, estate agents, probably more so mortgage brokers because of the of the of the way that the sector works, and um, they've quite often been criticised, sometimes fairly, um, for treating the clients as a one-off sale. Basically, get it in, sell, sort of never speak to them or engage with them again. However, word of mouth referrals and repeat business is absolutely crucial in that sector. It's probably sixty-five to seventy percent of the business in that sector. So, with more and more people entering that space, extra competition. What can people do to, um, if you like, improve repeat business and improve word of mouth referrals? Number one, take your job seriously. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're a real estate broker or a bloody lawyer, you know, if, if, if you, if you, you're the easiest business you can get is repeat business. Uh, without a doubt, and it's, and it's the most concrete, it's the less, 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 uh, um, it's more formidable, it's more reliable. And, and as far as I'm concerned, 
if you understand your statistics and your data and you analyze what you're doing, you'll realize that. And when you realize that that's the easy business, surely that will switch a trigger in your brain to go, hold on a minute here, maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way. All the time you, you make a sale and you don't create further opportunities, either from a referral opportunity or repeat business, then why all that hard work's gone to waste. And to me, that, that's illogical and irresponsible as a business owner or as an employee. It just doesn't make any sense. And in the long run, you lose. So for everybody that isn't doing it, and you know, and look, when people get criticized, I, you know, criticism for me is everyone can criticize somebody. You know, whether that's online or offline, people can do it. Is the criticism true? Okay, don't worry about some you know, idiot that's saying bad things about you if it isn't true. But if it is true, then say to yourself, hold on a minute, what can I do to be better? And it's just like common sense stuff. These are like basic rules mum and dad teach you when you're young, you know, but people kind of forget about them because they think they're chasing the money. But there's two types of, two types of client. This is your long-term client and your short-term client. And, you know, both are equally as important as the other. And that's why you need to take the time to do that. Yeah, I've been seeing, you obviously do a lot of stuff on how to sort of create them relationships and how to create, you know, raven fans, if you like, you know, um, if, if someone was looking at where to start, what what kind of techniques would you recommend? Let's say mortgage brokers being a perfect example, you know, they've done a remortgage for someone. Underpromise and overdeliver, okay, which I think is nonsense. Overpromise and overdeliver, okay, that's what I believe yeah. you need to do, okay. Overpromise and overdeliver and give people such an experience working with you that they can't think of anybody else, they can't even think of your company name. Who's my real estate broker? It's John, okay? That's who, who does John work for? You know what, I can't remember. His business card's green and white, I think. But my God, that John's epic. Yeah. Be, be that good, you know? When you say you're gonna be some silly stuff like, always be on time, never be late, ever, ever, ever. Okay, now my mum's my mom, 75 years old. She won't buy from anyone that doesn't have clean shoes on. She's 75, she might be a bit quirky, but that's my mum. And so is there people out there that won't buy from people that look scruffy, won't buy from people with messy hair, won't buy from people that smoke, won't buy from people that are late and all this kind of stuff. So, so over-promise and over-deliver and be somebody that, that is contributing into the community. Little things that you can do to be remembered, you know. Every single, every single client I have, I sing happy birthday to on their birthday. <laughs> every single client I get on a video and I sing happy birthday to them my loudest voice okay at seven in the morning they get it on their whatsapp on the day of their birthday just saying I wanted to be the first one to wish them happy birthday I look you, forward to getting that Spencer no you're not a client give me some money and I'll let you <laughs> <laughs> but, but these the, people love that kind of stuff you know remember important things if you know if they're if they're Muslim then remember Eid and remember the holy month of Ramadan and and, and make a conscious effort to to touch but look years ago when I was a kid we used to have Christmas cards up in the house at Christmas yeah they'd be everywhere all over the house mum would have a tree a piece of string and it would all be going off everywhere we don't do that anymore we don't send cards out and but if companies do they usually send out these corporate type cards you know already pre-printed with everyone's signature on no one wants them don't why are you sending them why can't you take a little bit of time to be be kinder okay because it's your time that will be the value to people and make sure here's the one rule in business that i think you should always follow if you wouldn't sell it to your mum then you shouldn't sell it to anyone and make sure that you think about every person you sell something to, treat them like they're your mum or your dad, treat them like you'd give them the very best advice that you could possibly give. You do the best thing for them before you put your commission first. 
top advice. The there's a there's a lot of um, because of the sector at the moment with how much work there is, and um, there's a lot of people doing some very long hours at the moment. And obviously with homeschooling, the precious family and everything else, I think there's got to be a question about burnout. Now, looking at yourself, Spencer, like in terms of plates spinning, <laughs> you've got a fair few. You've got the family, you know, your charity work, your business operations, which are which are expansive. Um, you know, I'm interested in how do you avoid burnout and, and what tips can you give to others to be able to make sure that you, because you obviously looking at you from afar and from reading about you, I think um, you seem to balance massively like um, personal success, but also with like fulfillment, if you like, in terms of being, being happy. And, you know, at this point in time, when people are wondering about priorities and running around the headless chickens at the moment, it's loads of work building up. Um, what would your tips be for them? Number one, it's not about only being mentally strong. You've got to be physically strong as well. So you've got to look after your body. You know, I'm 50 years old now. I'm no, I'm no Arnold Schwarzenegger or anything, but I go to the gym every morning. I get up at 4.30, I'm in the gym at just after five and I go and train and I train for my mind and my body. I come out of that training session knowing that I've done some exercise, I've got my body alive for the day. I don't enjoy the session, but I love how I feel after it. Yeah. So that's one thing I think is really important. The second thing that I think is important um, to understand is if you don't love what you do, you can burn out. If you love what you do, you can't because you do it for free anyway. So that's an important thing to consider. If you're doing a job, if you're a mortgage broker and you don't really want to be, but you're there just for the money, then there's a good chance that it'll get to the point where you get that deep in it. So love what you do. And I don't care what anyone says to you. Oh, but it's not as easy for you to say. It's not as easy to do that. Rubbish. You have the choices you can make. You can make the decisions, all right? Stop, stop saying, oh, I've got a mortgage, I've got kids and whatnot. Yeah, I've got mortgages, I've got kids. Yeah, yeah, what, and? You know, there's people out there who've got more kids than you, and? You know, why are you making an excuse? Don't put an excuse in your way. Um, also, what's important to remember is that, that a lot of people don't actually work long hours. They might be at work for long hours, but they don't work for long hours. And so one of the pieces of advice I give to everyone is take your diary and break everything down into 15 minute blocks and literally live your life on 15 minute schedules because a lot of things that you do don't take an hour. A lot of the things you do might only take 15 minutes. So allocate those things and be very clear on what they are. And you'll find that you've actually got more time than you think when you live your life that way. Those meetings you have on Zoom for an hour, did they really need to take an hour? You know, really? You know, a lot of the time it's just wasted time talking, now we're catching up about stuff that's not relevant. What do you need? How can I help you? Okay, let's get it done. And so you know, Gary Vaynerchuk says he doesn't like meetings that last more than seven minutes. And I think that's really valuable, you know? <laughs> Don't go into a meeting room and sit down. Stand up and have a meeting, you know, so you can get it if you're in an office, so you can get it done quicker. And then for the people that, are, that have also got a you know, balance, the, the whole homeschooling and stuff like that, I'm fortunate my kids are teenagers at university. But I think that like all of these things, it's here to test us. It's taught us that we can manage more. It's taught us that we can do more. So try and be focused at certain times on the things that you need to be focused on with your work and then one of the worst things in the world is this device all right it's great for a million things but my advice would be to anybody then that needs to spend time with their children turn this off all right put it away turn it off and spend that quality time for that one hour those two hours whatever it is that you've got to be with your kids and all of your clients customers can know that that's your time you spend with your children 
because of what's happened, they will have empathy, they will have compassion, they will have understanding. A lot of them have been in a very similar boat to you, so they'll get it. Okay, it's just a case of you owning that, taking responsibility for it. What you'll then find is your kids really enjoy that time you dedicated to them. You'll then really thrive on the time that you're busy working and they won't merge all into one thing. I completely agree. Probably the worst thing when I was growing up and sort of a mentor of mine sort of said to me early on, never duck a call. And I actually thought that was quite inspiring at the time because even if it was bad news, if it was a, a deal that they didn't want to do, you know, 99% of the world just ignore it. They don't want to you know, they, they, they kill you by ignorance, basically, rather than just saying things have changed at my end, or I'm, I'm, do you know what, I'm not sure about this, and you can resolve that, we've got a deal, people just let things drift, basically, so I was quite impressed by the fact that he would not duck a call, he'd just be politely brutal, is the best way I can explain that, um, but that didn't do me any good at all, to be honest with you, because I think for my way of working, I need chunks, like you've just explained, I need that 50 minute chunk when my phone's off, it's much better for me to have appointments set for me personally so that I can have tunnel vision in terms of the way I work. And like you just said, you know, I'm, you know, I probably went through a spell when I was an average dad, which might be all right for some, but that's like, that's not good enough generally. And it's certainly not good enough for me. And a big part of that, I think was that I'd, I'd be coming home at six, seven o'clock at night and the phone wouldn't stop. And I think when people get used to you, when people get used to you answering, it's funny actually that um, you then, get more blame than people who never answered in the first place because they just expect that you're going to answer. So you're disappointing them at that point, you know? And I think, I think what you just said then is something that I try to do in my life anyway, but I completely endorse what you're saying. Like absolutely 100%. Um, on the subject of kids, like your charity work, Spencer, absolutely fantastic. I was reading that you're involved with the Global Sustainability Network and you've been... Um, you know, you donated a lot yourself anyway. You've done a lot of charity stuff. I've seen about your, your cycling as well. Did you, did you do London to Rome? Is that right? Um, Paris to Geneva as well. And then could you tell us a little bit about that and in terms of what inspired you to get involved involved in that particular charity and what the charity does? There's, there's, there's kind of three facets. Number one, um, uh, some years ago, about 12 years, 10, 12 years ago, um, I started to look at, where I could start to do something selfishly that could bring some value to me outside of work. And, and you know, there's lots of people doing charity stuff around the world, that's nothing unusual. But for me, seeing children being born with HIV was something that really, really, I felt was unjust. And one of, one of, one of things in life that are just really unfair. And so I made a, a commitment to that. And so I put together about about a million quid's worth of donation in various forms to help these children. That was something that I was really passionate about. Then um, I met a lady called Maria Concia Sal, and Maria was a lady with an epic story. And she, she was a, she's from Portugal. She was a cleaner. She was adopted when she was young, and she became a cleaner. She said, "If I'm going to be a cleaner, I'm going to be the Ronaldo of cleaners." I thought that was a nice thing to be. And so she got a job cleaning. She then went to Switzerland. Oh and was a housekeeper in Switzerland, and she was hit by a car, went to hospital, because she was working there without papers illegally, the doctor said, look, you can stay here till you're better, but you have to leave. And so she left Switzerland, then she went across to UK, worked in the UK, and um, learned different languages, and so that was great, only as a housekeeper and a cleaner. Um, she then um, saw an advert on the side of uh, the West London, on, towards the Heathrow Airport, she saw an advert for Emirates Cabin Crew, 
And so she applied for Emirates cabin crew and uh, didn't think she'd ever get a chance to get the job. But lo and behold, she did get the job and she became a cabin crew attendant. And one of her first flights was to Bangladesh. So she was chuffed a bit to be in a cabin crew. She got to Bangladesh, she's in the slums in Dakar, walking around. She sees these children living horrible lives. And it just, it just completely drew her in. And she's like, right, I've got to do something about this. Flew back to Dubai, sold everything that she could sell, came back with some money to try and help some families. And then it wasn't, clearly it wasn't enough. It was never going to be enough. So she Googled, how do I raise money for charity? And uh, the first thing that came up was climb Everest. And so she trained, she'd never done sports in her life. And she trained and she was the first Portuguese woman to ever climb Everest. And she wow. Just, um, wow. How, and, do you know, how old would she have been when she did that? Well, she's now, she started 14 years ago and she's now, I think, about 40. So 20, 20, 26, 27. Anyway, she climbed Everest. And then she, after she did that, she then uh, went to the North Pole, to the South Pole. She climbed the other seven summits. She did eight Ironmans in eight weeks in eight countries. She's just uh, supposed to be swimming the English Channel this year, but COVID stopped that. And now she has taken over 600 children out of the slums of Dakar, and they've all been internationally educated. And some of them have even gone to Harvard since. Wow. For her what work. an inspiration oh man she's epic i love her to bits and i've done everything i can to try and support her and she she these 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 kids when they turn 13 years old they get married off to old men um uh, they get raped gang one of the kids i know was gang raped and stuff and so there's horrific stories and she's doing everything she can to help them and so i became very compelled to want to try and help this um help her with this and so i got involved in that and then there's another guy that won the nobel peace prize a guy called kailash and, and Kailash really inspired me because he spent the last 25 years um, trying to get children out of child slave labor and um, won a Nobel Peace Prize for doing so. And when, I just, when I'm with these people and I get those stories, it's really humbling. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm an emotional softie. It's just that like I want to try and help. What can I do? So Maria Conciasau, um, there's a guy called Grant Cardona I'm quite friendly yeah. with. And I, I introduced Maria to Grant and Elena and Maria told her story. And Grant and Elena flew her to Las Vegas to tell her story on their stage at the TEDx Growth yeah. Conference um, and uh, made everyone take $20 out of their wallet and put it into carrier bags to raise money for us. An incredible thing to do. Um, and uh, she's a very shy, you know, very shy lady, in fact. You know, she's she, sitting here right now with us on a Zoom. She'd be, she'd be so uncomfortable. But then she ended up on a stage in Vegas. <laughs> in front of 10,000 people, yeah. yeah. 10,000 people, yeah, epic. And it's just that when you, when you have people like that that have got stories, that, 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 you know, you hear people talk about it, but there is nothing that I get more out of. There's nothing than how, you know, when the girls came over, the first group of girls came over, I, was, that I said to Maria, where, where, where do you want me to meet you? She goes, I, where, anywhere. I said, come on, let's go to the mall. Anyway, these girls come running up to me between the age of seven and 12 years old, came running up to me in the mall. And I said, right, what do you want to do? They gave me the beautiful hugs. What do you want to do? And they were like, and I said, who wants an ice cream? And they're like, ice cream? I'm like, yeah, they went, we've never had ice cream. They've never had ice cream. It's like, never had ice cream. Took them to the fun fair. Like, they'd never seen it. The, 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 those machines with the tickets that come out of them. Yeah. Oh, my God. You have never seen anything like it in your life. And then I said to Maria, what do they need? She goes, they need everything, Spence. I'm like, okay, well, what do they need? Tell me what they need. She's like, everything. Underwear, pyjamas, a hairbrush, a toothbrush, um, 
Uh, All the stuff you take for granted, yeah. Yeah. And so we went, me and my friend Loai, who's a really wonderful guy as well, and Loai and I went into Carrefour with the girls, and uh, we, we took four trolleys into Carrefour, and the girls, and we took them to the kids' clothing section and whatnot, and said to the girls, yeah, right, choose yourself a pair of pyjamas. And they looked at me, and they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, choose yourself a pair of, what, each? Like, for me to keep? And I'm like, yeah. Well, amazing just incredible experience pair of shoes all a pair of trainers each yeah they, they're like they just they couldn't get their head around it yeah. and so uh, when when you see how they've lived as well in the slums and you know they, they've never had a shower with soap you know stuff like that has never happened to them so um yeah and, and when you get touched by that no, nothing else matters in this world really how like, can people find out more information about this spencer what would be where would be the best place for people to go Mar the maria christina foundation um, if you Google that on, uh, uh, on uh, yeah, if you Google it, off you go, you'll see Maria Christina. But I think her Instagram is Maria True Grit. Um, but she's just a force of nature. She's 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 probably my biggest inspiration. We'll get make sure we give a strong shout out to that. that that's yeah. really inspiring. Uh, that's it for this week, everyone. I mean, Spencer, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for giving up your time. Um, please check out the Make It Happen University and the Spencer Lodge uh, podcast. SpencerLodge.tv is the place to go to have a look at everything um, Spencer-related, and I can recommend it highly. In the meantime, um, please make sure you subscribe to the MLC Show for Property Professionals uh, and check out the products and services for mortgage brokers and estate agents at My Legal Club and the Mortgage Broker Club. Stay well and take care, everyone. <laughs>